Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we are in 2 Corinthians today, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and our sermon is, Our Great Power is from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 18, uh, there will be points on the screen for you if you're watching by way of Facebook. There is an outline there in the link provided in the description. So we are so glad that you're here. As we take time to open God's Word this morning, the the thing is, you know, life has a way of reminding all of us that regardless of how strong our faith is in God or how strong we are as a person, tests have a way of humbling us. It may be the phone rings or we get an email or we get a notification that all of a sudden something terrible has happened in our life or some type of test. Or maybe it's just reading the news and finding out what's going on. But the truth is, in the midst of our world, whether things are going good and bad, we have been, as believers, commissioned by Jesus Christ to share the gospel. So as we jump into our scripture, the first thing that we see is that power, true power, I'm talking about the power to live as a Christian life. If you feel, if you feel beat down today, if you feel like the devil's winning, if you feel like that, that there are things that you are lacking in your spiritual life, my friend, I've got hope for you today, and it's not my words, they're his. It says, therefore, in verse 1, therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, that's key, I'll talk about that in a minute, since he's given us this new way, we never give up. Some translations say, we never lose heart. We reject all shameful deeds and under Handed methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. I mean, Paul is really laying it on the line to those like myself, those that are teachers, deacons, and even those of you that that have any kind of influence of scripture or God with other people. Maybe, maybe it's your families, co-workers, or your circle of friends. But the first thing that we see that I hope I've taught you is that when you read a Bible verse, And the word therefore is listed. What does therefore mean? I want to know what therefore is there for. I want to get some context. And so what he's talking about is that Paul has been explaining, as it says here, this new way of ministry. And to kind of give you the the real sum of that, Paul spent a majority of the first of this second letter to the church at Corinth explaining the importance of Jesus Christ and how he has changed the way that we access God. Keeping laws and sacrifices of animals and observing religious rituals that were seen to be a way to prove your love for God and to gain God's favor under the Old Testament is no longer necessary. Isn't that great to know that there is not some set of rules written somewhere to where you have to earn God's favor and earn God's grace? If it were, we would all be in a pickle, would we not? We do not have to earn God's grace because He has freely given it to us. And this is because of this new way of worship. Salvation no longer comes through these sacrifices, through these rituals. Now it is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Jesus Christ was and is the all-in-all sacrifice 
for your sins and mine. And his death makes right with God those who ask him to enter into their lives. Now, we know the gospel story. If I were to say, tell me what the gospel is, many of you would probably just look at me and wait for me to tell you what I'm thinking. I want you to hear or I want to hear from you. But basically, the gospel, meaning the good news is this. The good news is, young man, young woman, older man, older woman, we have hope today because Jesus came. He left the throne. He left heaven. He left his father. He came and was born in this world in human form. He was 100% human, but he was 100% God. He lived on this earth. He experienced everything that you have gone through, yet he was killed for being our Savior and Lord. It was his sacrifice that saved us from our sins. The man that was sinless, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I could have eternal life. And because of that, when you go back to the grave we celebrated Easter, he rose. So that's power over death. And the great thing is, is that he is coming back for us. If you don't, you don't have to believe that. But I'm telling you what, if we're wrong, I've lost nothing. But if, I, if, if we're right, I've gained everything. That is the good news. It is basically saying Jesus came, lived a human, sinless life, and died as a sinner with your sin on him so that we could have eternal life. Now, that is good news. The good news is you don't have to meet hell. You can make heaven because of what Jesus Christ has done. So that is the gospel. That is the good news. But notice he says, do not give up or lose heart. Folks, Paul was not a quitter. Paul knew a lot about suffering for Jesus Christ. He's encouraging believers in Corinth to not back down or to uh, lose their courage. You see, a lot of people back then, and that even happens today, there are many people that go to church, many people that at some point have made a decision to follow Christ. Did you know that most experts say that our, when I say life cycle, I don't mean um, our physical life cycle, but our spiritual life cycle goes in uh, cycles of three. In other words, you have three years of really being close and and doing well, then you slack off, and then maybe something happens, and you have another three years. And that's okay. We can't be always on all the time. But I'm telling you what, if we, if you and I try to live our spiritual life in our own strength, we will fail every time. Some of you are in the middle of that three-year cycle. Some of you are at the end of that three-year cycle. Some of you are five years in and still going strong. And praise the Lord for that. But the truth of the matter is, is that if God has called us to serve Him, there are going to be times of weariness. And when we get weary, Paul says to not give up. The thing is, is that when God... When we, when we pray and we ask God, He's got one of three answers. Yes, no, or wait. We love the yeses. We don't like the noes. And we cannot stand the waits. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, my friend. I heard this, a preacher was preaching on a, a podcast I was listening to the other day. He said, If God has not answered your prayer and has told you to wait, It's only because he's got something better for that. Even if he said no and you don't understand why, he has got something better for that. So don't be fatigued. Don't give up because we do not stand alone. The second thing he says is we need to lead and not to give in. 
Paul is, is charging preachers and teachers here to believe and share the truth regardless of the times you're in. My friends, there are people, even people that call themselves teachers and pastors and leaders that are taking the very word of God and twisting it and distorting it to make it fit their own view of what they want people to think. But even Paul, as he is mentoring his young Mentor E, T- Timothy, says in 2 Timothy 4, 3, I'll put it on the screen for you. It says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, folks, in a room like this, or somebody may be watching a video, we have various backgrounds here. Various The political spectrum is all over the map in this room. The spiritual spectrum is all over the map in this room. The experiential level of everything is all over the map in this room. But the truth of the matter is, if there is something you want to justify in your life, it can be easy for anybody to take parts of Scripture and make it sound like it's okay. But folks... We don't take parts of Scripture. We take the whole counsel of God, all of Scripture, to make our decisions and to live. And you will be doing yourself a great disservice by going along with the thoughts of the herd rather than holding on to God's Word. Well, we see in verses 3 and 4 that the gospel will be revealed to all, but some will refuse it. It says, it's a good news we preach is hidden behind a veil. It is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world. Now now notice, Paul is giving credit to Satan. Look, God is all powerful, but Satan is the prince of this world. He is a dog on a chain that can run along and bite and cause havoc all to the extent of what God allows. It says they are unable to see the glorious light. Of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is in the exact likeness of this God. Yes, Satan is in control of this world depending on how much chain we give him. Think about that, folks. If you feel like Satan is, is, is getting you right now, if you feel like that, that he is oppressing you, if you feel like you're under his thumb, my dear friend, how much chain are you giving him? How much, how close are you trying to get to him without jumping all in? The Bible calls that being lukewarm. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to be lukewarm, it's better to be one or the other. Because if you're trying to walk the middle, it makes me want to lose my lunch. That's what Jesus is saying. And my friend, if, if you don't feel a power that God has said that it was within you, we need to find it. And that's where he, he heads to. Next, but understand here that not everybody is going to accept Jesus Christ. Those who reject Christ in lieu of their own selfish pursuits have unknowingly made Satan their God and idol. Now, if I were to go to you and say that if you have a family member or a friend that does not believe in God, rejects God, look, they, they are, and maybe some of you, you, you are welcome to that opinion. But if you're not worshiping God, according to what Paul says, you're worshiping Satan. Somebody would say, well, I'm not a Satan worshiper. Okay. If you don't worship God, who do you worship? There's only one or the other. And if you say, well, I'm putting myself first, 
That's making God an idol, and that is selfishness, and that is the root of who Satan is. You can go back to the garden in Genesis and see that. But Paul was not preaching to build his platform here. He was not trying to get his social media contacts up. He was not trying to have an Instagram post go viral here. He was writing these instructions from jail cells for preaching the gospel. And Paul's passion for Jesus, where do you think he got that from? Why do we have so many books from Paul in the scriptures of the New Testament? Is because Paul was passionate about his walk with Christ. Why would he be passionate about his walk with Christ? Well, before he met Christ, he was the greatest feared enemy of the Christian church. He was part of the Sanhedrin. He was probably there when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was killed and stoned to death. He used to hunt Christians to kill them. Men, women, and children. And now He met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. The scales from his eyes were lifted, and he had a new purpose. No longer is he persecuting Christians. He is building them up. So why am I saying all this? Paul is passionate about Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ changed him. And my friend, if Jesus Christ changed you, you may not have had a Damascus Road experience like Paul. But my friend, if Jesus Christ changed you, and Jesus Christ is within you, that passion should move you to do His will. And to say that it doesn't means A, you need to evaluate your decision, or B, evaluate what's grieving the Holy Spirit in your life. Then we go to verses 7 through 15. God proves His power over and over. God proves his power over and over. Here's kind of the key verse, the the linchpin, so to speak, of everything that we're talking about this morning. In verse 7, it says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Maybe sometimes you... Maybe you have ordered something online, maybe from like a, um, um, you know, one of these online retailers, maybe even one of our, our brick and mortar stores. They send you something and the box. It looks so boring. It is so ugly. I mean, it's got like gashes in the side of it. It's got staples. There. I cannot stand those metal staples. It's like I lose a finger every time I try to open one. But you've got this old ugly package, and then you open it up, it's, oh, that whatever I ordered is here, and it is beautiful. You, you wipe the tears from your eyes, and you open it. Of course, if you're a male, you don't look at the directions. You just start using it. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you take that illustration and apply it to this verse, these, these earth suits that we have that are made of, of dust and water, and, and all of these chemicals that some people say are maybe worth all of about 98 cents. And we look at our lives. Look, we all are getting older. We all are, are, are getting wrinkles. Gravity's taking its toll. Our, 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 hit, our hitches in our are all, all getting We sit around and talk to all of our friends about all the procedures we had or what we're going through. And eventually we die. Yeah, that's kind of morbid, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is, is that these bodies, we do not have an eternal shelf life 
in this earth. We have a, a moment we're born and a moment we die and everything in between. And this vessel, when you look in the time frame of eternity, is weak and powerless and fragile like a jar made of clay. But it's not about the jar of clay. It's about what's inside of it. And it says right here that in this fragile jar of clay contains a great treasure. My friends, we are a vessel that God can use. So if you feel weak, you are right where you need to be. Knowing your limitations does a few things. Look, if you go before God and say, God, I realize like a, a jar, clay, a clay jar, I am weak. What does admitting weakness to God mean? It means, A, you have swallowed your pride. Nobody likes to say, I need anybody. But to say you need God, you have put your pride at the floor. It's called humility. Even Jesus Christ himself, who was God, humbled himself to lay down his throne, lay down his glory, lay down his power to die for you and me. So he knows a little thing about laying down pride. So if you admit that you are not all that in a bag of chips and that you don't have everything that you need and that you need him, you have humbled yourself. Therefore, pride is not a factor. And number two, if you admit that you need God, you realize your desire for him. So many people follow God, but they don't really think they need him. Oh, unless somebody's dying or somebody's sick. But folks, we need God every day for everything. And though you may think you have reached the bottom, my friend, the bottom is solid. Let's look down at verse 11. It says, yes, we live under constant danger and death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death. But this has resulted in eternal life for you. Folks, your pain today can have purpose when God is in it. That's something that I've learned in my life. And I I don't know if you've learned. Many of you have got it all together. Look, I'm going to tell you, you look good this morning. Every one of you. You're dressed and you're fixed up and and everything's great. Man, I'm wearing a sweater today. I'm loving this. Got on long sleeves. I get to cinch my belt up one more, one more hole because I've gotten a little smaller. It's a good day. You're like, preacher, move on. I understand. But the point of my digression is this. Is that I know that there are things that have, hap- have happened in my life that were painful and hurt like a, the old term hitting someone over the head with a brick and a velvet glove. It hurts. At the time, it hurt. At the time, it was pleasant. Even when I think about it now, I'm not too happy about it. But the truth of the matter is, everything that has happened in my life that is good and is painful has had a purpose because God's hand has been in it. Can you admit that in your life? Can you see that in the good and the bad, God has been there? That though your life is a clay jar that is fragile, you have emotions, you have moods, you have hurts, you have pains, you have bad knees, you have all of these things. But in the midst of that, the treasure is what's inside of you. And that is God. And that is what Paul is talking about. And no one can destroy 
what God has accomplished through you. That is what Paul is saying. Is that when you look at the time span of eternity, especially those of you that are parents, grandparents, or influencers of children, some of you are in church today because somebody influenced you when you were young to be in church. And now you are doing the same With your children. It doesn't ensure that they'll never have problems. It doesn't ensure that they will never stray. But it does ensure the fact that you have planted the seeds of this treasure in their lives. That means it's not up to you. Ultimately, God is the one doing the work in their lives. Then we see in verses 16 through 18, never give up on God, my friends. Never give up on God. He does not give up on you. Verses 16 through 18. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small. Folks, Paul is writing this from a jail cell. He is in prison for sharing Jesus. He said, look, this isn't all that bad. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. <laughs> Woo! Sorry, I'm going to get excited on this. Last part of verse 17. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Man, I'll tell you what I hate. I hate those scales in the gym, the doctor scales. Not that I don't mind the digital ones. You know, the ones where you get on them and it goes, ugh, get off. But the ones I couldn't stand are the ones like in the gyms and where you go in and it's got like the little sliders on it. And sure enough, without me knowing, I'll just hop on it and some skinny little runt has just been up on there and it's like set to 120 pounds. So I get up there, thinking I'm going to have a real good weight check. All of a sudden, I think it's, I'm like, man. It wasn't even in my notes, Don. I don't know why I said that. Sorry, y'all. Random things. But it does get this purpose across. My friend, at the moment, you have those like that little skinny runt. The guy, I don't know who it was. But these troubles that we have in our life, or like that little guy sitting on that, that scale. And it has weight to it. But when you put it in terms of eternity, the things that you gather from eternity vastly outweigh the troubles of today. So what does that mean we lack? If, if right now the world is overtaking you and consuming you and consuming me, if we get tired of watching the TV and looking at the, the endless scrolls on social media, I know some of you say, well, preacher, I don't do social media. It's not a problem for me. Well, you read the newspaper. You talk to your friends on the telephone. You watch your favorite news channel on TV. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if we were to drill down into what's happening these days, it's a heavy weight. The things that are happening in your life that have happened to you, that have happened to people you love, they weigh on us. But my friend, let me tell you, God has a purpose in those. And just like when I stepped on that scale, that thing went, 
the rewards from living for God today will vastly outweigh these little runts that we're dealing with today. You see, yet yet they produce for us a glory that will vastly outweigh them all and will last forever. So why do we not give up? As false physical strength was draining. Check this out. His body was wasting away. I have seen even people in this church and in my own family that their bodies give up before their spirit does. And the weaker their body gets, the stronger their spirit gets to where their body is fading away, but their soul is saying, I want to be with my Jesus. Because of this, because of that treasure that we have within our lives, that we can approach life with no fear, that we can approach death with no fear. Because though these bodies are jar clays, we have the treasure within us. And what we see is that present troubles seem heavy at the time, But eternity puts them into proper perspective. Present troubles seem heavy at the time, but eternity puts them into proper perspective. I'm not going to say it doesn't take, this doesn't take the sting out of something, but it sure does give you hope to move on. Verse 18 says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, now here it is, we fix our gaze On things that cannot be seen. This is what drives non-Christians crazy. It's because we as believers have the Holy Spirit and we can fix our eyes. What does fix mean? That means that if I see something I shouldn't be looking at, I fix my eyes on something else or they're going to be fixed for me. You know what I mean, guys? That I choose not to look at something, but fix my eyes on something else. It is a, it is a choice that we make. It is a switch that we flip to fix, to, to focus. Kind of like when a coach says, hey, look at me, boys. Look at me, girls. Focus. We're like, fixing our eyes on whatever that is. So what Paul is saying here is that we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. So does that mean? I don't care what political party you're in. But does that mean that even if the Democrats run our country into the ground, that we will see that it will not last forever? Does that mean if the Republicans run our country in the ground? that things will get better? Does that mean if gas becomes $10 a gallon, that things will get better? Does that mean if we lose people that we love? Does that mean if we struggle? Does that mean if we are prosperous? All of these things that happen, does that mean that no matter what happens on this earth, these things will be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. I remember it, I, there's been so many funerals, but it was it was some time back, and it wasn't anybody connected with the church. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember that 
before the person passed away, I was able to talk with them, and they they made a profession of faith. You'd call it a deathbed confession. Now, when I went back to the family and said, look, I know this person has not been the best, has not behaved the best, but I can assure you in account of God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, that person will be in heaven. And you just see peace wash over them. Now, when I think about that with deathbed confessions, think of all that person has missed out on. But still, God's word is God's word. And, and people can have hope because we know that as bad as that grave swallows up everything, it's that that will go on in eternity. It is not the end, but it is a, a bump in the road to eternity. For those that know Jesus Christ, the things that we cannot see, but we know because of God's word, give us hope. For the people that don't have hope, as soon as the last pile of dirt is on there, they're done. They can hope that there's going to be something out there, but, you know, I don't understand that. Look, people say, well, you know, this whole religious thing is just a construct that people made to, to kind of deal with life. And Okay, construct, crutch, backup plan. Whatever you want to call it, I love it. And I'm going to trust it. And if I'm wrong, I have not lost anything. Because my time with this system has been so much better than when I tried to run my life on my own. And if I'm right, woo! everything that stopped here that is of God will carry on through eternity. Amen. But we've got to get a God-powered perspective. I mean, think about it. An athlete, they train and they fight through the pain to better themselves in order to complete and win a trophy that is important. But that, that trophy will not last. Look, I, I'm, <laughs> I've cleaned out my, my office at home before and, and offices as I've moved churches. And I can't tell you the number of plaques and trophies I have thrown into the trash. Not because I didn't appreciate them. Not because I didn't want to relive my glory days by displaying my bowling trophy when I was in third grade. Or whatever it may be. But at the time, that trophy meant a lot. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there is no trophy that is going to match the crown of life that we are given when we see Jesus. In conclusion, I would say this. Our great power is from God. That is what this scripture says. Our great power is from God. Charles Swindoll has a study Bible and he says, Are you afflicted or overwhelmed by burden? Are you under some deep pressure, almost to the point of giving up of life itself? If you are, then you know exactly where Paul was when he wrote this and why. You need to trust God now more than ever. My friends, Be a light in a dark world that needs to see Jesus. We want life to be rainbows, but unfortunately it's filled with violent storms as well. And the truth of the matter is, whether it's rainbows or storms, God is with us in the middle of it. Our last point for the screen is this. Your trials and troubles are working for you, not against you, whether you know it or not, my friends. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your troubles are working for you, even though you feel like 
it may be against you. I've used this illustration before, and y'all are probably sick of hearing it, but I'll say it again. I officiated funerals for many years, but I led funerals after my parents died, and I felt the weight of what those people were feeling. It was painful. It was hard. But it's made me a better minister. It made me a better person. All of us have things that we go through that make us better, that we're troubled at the time. My friends, keep your pride in check. Start looking to eternity rather than the problems of the moment. And take the opportunity to display God's power for others to see. Folks, the darker this world becomes, the brighter believers can shine. You don't have to be perfect today, my friend. Give Jesus yourself now in your current state and experience his power flowing through you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for reminding us that although we are not much as far as the shells of these jar clays that you've made for us here, but it's the treasure of your son, Jesus Christ, that's within us that gives us power to make it through this world. And if there is one person in here that came in here today that felt beat up by the world, that felt like that if, if the world was winning, my friend, if, if their faith is in you, your power is their power. Show that to them today. And if there is one person here today that would say, I want that power. Life has gotten the best of me. And I I don't know how to access that power. I don't know even if I'm a Christian or not. I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is at the center of my life. I want to know Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to live for him. And I want to be an example for others. If there's one person that feels that way, that they come forward during the, the invitation and we will pray with them. And make sure as a church we will rejoice with anyone that returns to you. Or maybe there's someone who just wants to come to the altar and pray. Whatever their decision is, would you give them the strength to do it? And if they need a friend to come up with them, may they take them by the hand and walk them up here. We love you, Lord, and this time of decision is for your glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please? Amen.